Time now for a Sunday Awakening with the preaching of Bishop E.W. Jackson on American Family Radio. So all this thing, all these things you just mentioned, Bishop, why, with all these Christians, particularly in America, why are we where we are? What, what is going on? Where have we gone wrong? Well, here's the first thing. Wrong thinking. Wrong thinking. Because look, what I just shared with you is available to anybody who wants to read it. But I wonder how many Christians read it, how many pastors teach on it, how many give that emphasis, how many take that claim. See, because here's what most of the body of Christ does. Not you, I hope, but most of the body of Christ does. We take our personal experiences, we take our observation of circumstances, and we superimpose that on the word of God and then start making excuses. Oh, yeah. That's where the doctrine, well, God doesn't want to heal everybody. But you can't prove that by Jesus. Because he ministered for three years. We saw healing after healing after healing after healing. And there was not one time he went up to somebody and said, you know, you need to stay sick. It's going to be better for you. Not once. I said, even this, this guy who was in the pool of Bethesda, and if anybody should have been left in that condition, he probably should have been. Because when Jesus said, do you want to be made whole? Well, now, Lord, uh, when I get to I go to get down in the pool, somebody else jumps down and I can't get it. In. And I'm thinking about Jesus must have said, did I ask you all that? Yeah. It's not I'm discriminated against. And so Jesus said. Pick the man up and healed him immediately. And then the idiot went and told the scribes and Pharisees, oh, you know that guy you want to arrest for healing? Healed on Sabbath? There he is. He, I, I, I saw him. So he, I said, he was no good. But Jesus even healed him. It's not a single circumstance. The Bible says the only time he did not heal was down in Nazareth when the Bible says he could not do many mighty miracles there because of their unbelief. Not because he looked at them and said, well, they're not, they, they need to stay sick. <laughs> so then people say, well, I, I, my, my, my Aunt Gertrude, she didn't get healed. Uh, my Uncle Snodgrass, he didn't get healed. But see, what you're now doing is you're taking your Uncle Snodgrass and your Aunt Gertrude, and you're basically making those the word of God, their experiences in that situation. And I, I'm not taking anything away from that. I know you love your Uncle Snodgrass and love your, love your Aunt Gertrude, but they're not the standard of our faith. The word of God is. Amen. 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 So wrong thinking created by trying to impose our experiences and circumstances on the word of God and really making that superior to the word of God. Listen, let me say a couple of things to you that I really don't want you to forget. Facts and circumstances seldom match up with God's word. They seldom match up. I mean, come on. Our job is to hold fast to the word until they do match up. There are a whole lot of things in the word where I can't say, I've seen that promise completely and totally fulfilled in my life, but I'm holding fast to God's word, expecting that to be the outcome. 
I'm not going to say, well, at this age, it hadn't happened. That must not be true. Which is what people do. I mean, even if they don't say it, that's the way they think. So look, facts and circumstances are temporary. They're temporary. All this stuff I just shared with you, that's all temporary. But truth is eternal. Truth is unchanging. Facts and circumstances are fleeting. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten news and thought, man, that's a big thing. Oh, Lord, we, we got to deal with that. And in 24 hours, it flew away like a bird. Turned out to be nothing. Facts and circumstances, circumstances are fleeting. And what, you, what we're supposed to do is take the truth of God's word and slam it up against facts and circumstances. And make facts and circumstances yield instead of yielding to the word with the facts and the circumstances. Well, Lord, I know your word says, I've heard people say it. Yeah, I know the word God says, I know God's word says that, but. And I say, you got to get your butt out of the way. And, and you got to just let the word speak and let the word be what it is, which is the absolute uncompromising truth. Amen. So if you want to experience the promise of that verse, I challenge you to take that text and meditate in it. Take that text and make it your own. Listen to this message over and over and over again and get it in your heart. God, you said that you gave me the power to, to trample on, and the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy and nothing would by any means hurt me. And just stand on it. Well, well, you know, man, Lord, this, this, look like, this looks like it's going to hurt me or is hurting me. Stand on the word. Stand on the word. Amen. Amen. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away. Well, if heaven and earth will pass away before his word passes away, don't you think the problem you're facing will pass away before his word passes away? If you put, your, you put the word of God up against the circumstance, the circumstance will yield. I'm telling you, it will yield. Hey, man, look, we live in a word. Can I preach to you all this morning? We, we, live, we live in a word-based universe, saints. The whole creation was created by God's word. The Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness is on the face of the, uh, of the deep. And the spirit of God hovered on the face of the waters. And God said... Things changed. God said in the Hebrew, they say God said light be and light was. Glory to God. See, look. You were not created. You were not created from the dust of the earth. The dust of the earth was used to create the body that you would live in. That's, that's what, the fact that we come from the dust of the earth is what makes us mankind. Adam means ground. God connected us to this planet and this universe that he made for us. We are, we are always going to be physical beings. We'll have a re be brief respite from that while we're in heaven, but ultimately, as you all know, we're going to be re reunited with resurrection bodies, and we're going to be human beings forever. That's the way God made us. But before he molded you out of the dust of the earth, he didn't scoop down and say, to, well, let me see, what's this thing going to look like? The Bible says 
He predestined you. He foreknew you before the foundation of the world. He knew the color of your hair. He, he knew the color of your skin. He, he knew what, what, what your ancestors would be. I mean, he knew everything about you before you were formed in your mother's womb. And your true creation is when God spoke you into being. You know, when God breathed into Adam the breath of life, he wasn't breathing oxygen into it. Because God doesn't have any oxygen in him. He doesn't breathe oxygen. He was breathing himself into Adam. He was breathing his life into Adam. He was breathing his spirit into Adam. He was breathing his word into Adam. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You are a word created being. And, and the word is always going to feed you and affirm you. And, and God is always going to affirm his word in you. At the end of Matthew 16, when you read it without the, the, the additions of the translators, what it says is, and they went forth preaching God confirming the word. He was confirming the word that was coming out of them, not confirming them, but confirming the word that was coming out of them. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So if you want to experience the promise, meditate on that verse. Get that verse in your heart. Listen, get this in your heart. God never made you to be hurt by him. That was never his plan for you. Remember, God didn't want you to have to ever suffer with sin. That's why he didn't create sin. He didn't give Adam and Eve sin. He, he gave them righteousness. They chose sin. But God never intended to hurt you, and he never wanted you to be hurt. So, well, wait a minute, Bishop. Christians have been martyred, and Christians have suffered. Yes, for the gospel of Jesus Christ to get the message across to people that God wants to create a world in which you will never be hurt again. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. God's got something better than this. And if preaching that message gets me hurt, well, then so be it. That's not God hurting me. That's the world trying to hurt me for preaching the truth of God's word. And you know what? The Bible says if a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it, it'll bring forth fruit a hundredfold. So you kill me, it'll just magnify the message. Glory to God. But it's not God wanting to hurt me. It's not God wanting to do me harm. I, you know, I, I get a little God. You, you remember when we were kids? If, if when I was a child, because I was a foster kid too, and wasn't really around my mother, and then my father came into my life at the, well, he didn't come into my life, but he took custody of me at the age of 10 years old. I was one of those kids that was very sensitive. If you said something about my mother and father, you were going to fight. It wasn't going to be any discussion. Because I, I was sensitive about it. You know, I, was, I could never play the dozens. Because you start playing the dozens with me, I'm going to get mad. Because I had sensitivities about this stuff. Well, you know, I have an even greater sensitivity when people start blaming my heavenly father for the wrongs in the world and give him the credit for what the devil does and then don't give him the credit for what he does. I was, when I practiced law, I used to bristle every time I'd read a contract that said if anything went wrong, they called it force majeure, which is an act of God. I say, it's not an act of God, dummies. It's an act of the devil but they wouldn't let me put that in a contract, so. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Satan hurts people. God heals people. Satan tries to break people. God builds people. Amen. Second Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, 
and I love these verses, says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue, which by, by which have given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine, listen to this, partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. In other words, God is making you like him. You're never going to be God, in spite of what some of these cults tell you. But he wants you to be like him. He, he wants to give you his divine nature. You know, I was talking the last time I preached, I think, talking a little bit about what, what heaven is going to be like, what the world to come is going to be like. And, you know, imagine this, the, the greatness of God. When you've been in the eternal kingdom for a million years, you're going to look back on the time you were on this earth and what you knew and think, how, how did I even know how to walk out the door? Because you're going to know so much. You're going to understand so much, but you won't even begin to touch what God knows, even then. In other words, for all of eternity, we're going to be learning and growing. You know, God intends for us to be like him. Jesus said it. In um, Luke chapter 10, he said, does not the word say you are God? You know, because they, they jumped on Jesus for saying that he was the son of God. They said, Jesus said, well, wait a has not, I think it's in Psalm 84. It says, does not the Psalm say he made them gods to whom the word of God came? Little G. And Jesus said, well, if he made them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, why are you upset that I call myself the son of God? Say, so you all don't have any revelation in the word, do you? Hallelujah. But, but he's going, look, we are like him. He intends for us to be holy like him, saints. And that means he does not intend to have the devil pushing us around. Amen. Probably got myself into a little trouble with some of my audience. I told him, you know, because this, this poor kid out in, uh, I forget where it was, but um, who got it, in Arlington, Texas, who got into trouble, went and shot some kids. And they said it, it, he, they blamed it on bullying, you know. And, and I said, you know, we, we got to get back to some common sense. When I was raised, bullying was just a part of growing up. You know, I mean, you got bullied until you punched the bully in the nose and he left you alone and that was that. Or you bullied somebody and you got smacked yourself and, and then you realize, I, I think I've told you all the story, but I tried to be a little bully. I had this kid, uh, he would, would go in the mom's hoagie shop. My wife would know exactly what I'm talking about. It was a famous hoagie shop in Chester, Pennsylvania. And I saw him going in there one time, and the kid was bigger than I was. You know, he was as tall maybe as I was, but he was much heavier. And, and, and I was a little rogue, and I saw him go in there, and I bullied him before. And I said, how much money you got? He said, well, I, my mother sent me. I said, give me that money. And he said, I, I can't give you this money. It's my mother's money. I can't, I can't. I said, give me that money. And I backed him up in the corner and went to reach for that money, and he started punching on me. I had to get out of there. I thought, you know, this bullying thing doesn't work too well. <laughs> but you know, we, I didn't have a gun and he didn't have a knife. And it, was, it was just what kids deal with. And now we've turned everything into a major issue. And I'm convinced of this, this whole bullying thing, and don't, don't get me wrong, Kids should not be bullied, okay? But th 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 this, this sort of massive, uh, major effort that we see 
uh, I think really has to do more with homosexuality, and they're using bullying as a way of trying to prevent people from raising objections to their behavior, because when you do that, then you're bullying. But we used to resolve these things among ourselves as kids. Amen? And you know what? The bully often became your best friend once you socked him once. And you know, it was just kids doing what kids do. And now we're living in a world where, no, you've got to have safe spaces. You've got to have puppy therapy. You need to, you need to go off to, oh, and so, and so now kids, instead of resolving issues, you know, uh, among themselves and just getting it out of their system, uh, they, they feel like they've got to get a gun, got to kill somebody. And we, I think we've, we've created this kind of hysteria, like, you know, or, or kill themselves. My goodness gracious. You know, my daddy used to say, <laughs> I probably shouldn't share this, but I'm going to share it anyway. <laughs> I, I, I really believe, Lord, I'm led by the Holy Spirit to share this. But my, my daddy used to say that when, when um, things would get bad, you know, it, with him, this is before I came along, and he was in the world and all that, and, and you know, he would be threatened um, with the things that were going wrong in his relationship with his various, his wives, not just my mother. And he would say, they would say, I... I I'll have you so in love with me, I'll make you kill yourself. <laughs> My father said, you keep messing with me, you might get me to kill somebody, it ain't gonna be me. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not, uh, you all understand, I'm just, but, 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 and, and of course, my father wasn't gonna kill anybody or kill himself, but, but you all understand, it was just, the, we, we weren't, we, we, we weren't so fragile. It seems like we're raising Christians are not supposed to be like that, so, so fragile. We, 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 everything is a major psychological and emotional issue for us. I mean, come on. Let's, let's, let's put on the whole armor of God, amen? Let's, let's be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, amen? Amen. And I'm not encouraging kids beating each other up or anything like that, but I'm just saying we got to have a little bit of common sense here about these things and not turn everything into a major federal case and get making kids think well yeah that's normal I'm being bullied I got to kill in order to get out of it or kill myself in order to get out of it as opposed to saying it's part of growing up you'll you'll be fine and you know and sure deal with it if it gets out of hand but but you know it's it's just part of life amen but we as Christians again we understand where all of this stuff is coming from it's coming from the devil amen Amen. Amen. Now, let me take you to a verse that I think has been grossly misunderstood and show you something that is very, very important. And in Romans chapter eight, verses thirty five through thirty six says this. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Now, look. I want you to notice something uh, in our country today. Christians are a target. Uh, I've heard people call Christians the Taliban. Yeah, we're the equivalent of the Taliban. And Lord knows, we're not interested in hurting anybody. We, we, are, we, we love God. We love people. And we, we love even the people that don't agree with us. We love them. We don't want to hurt them. We don't do anything bad to them. But they call us the Taliban because we take a strong stand on certain issues and, and they want us to shut up. So that's the way they disparage us. 
And so they talk about us like dogs, you know, even though we're people of love, not hate and mercy, not vengeance. But notice something. Islamist Muslims behead homosexuals, throw them off roofs, kill sometimes their own children if they dare to marry outside of Islam. It's called honor killings and all kinds of other atrocities that we're hearing about right now in Afghanistan. Cutting people's hands off and all this stuff. And yet you notice something that you don't hear that criticism of Islam. You know why? Because they're scared. They're cowards. Because they know, in spite of all the stuff they say about Christians, they know they talk about us and what do we do? We pray for them. They know we're not going to go get a gun, try to kill somebody, and we're going to pray for them. We're, we're going to say, Lord, help them. They don't know. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You start messing with these Muslims. And you know you might end up having a fatwa on your head, which means a general contract. For any Muslims who sees you to kill you. But Christians, oh yeah, those dirty, rotten, low-down Christians. And they, here's what this is saying. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. See, they, they're weak. They're, what are they going to do? But look, it says, for your sake we are killed all day long. That, that, is, that verse is not saying what it appears to be saying. It is not a verse about, about suffering and pain and, and martyrdom and all of that. What that verse is really saying is, that, for example, all day long is not in the verse. That's added at the privilege of the translators. What it's really saying is, we are completely dead to self for your sake. We are completely dead to self for your sake. And, and, and they see us go through tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. And, 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 and they don't realize these things don't move us off the mark because we are completely dead for your sake. In other words, I'm a dead man already. I've already died. I'm, I'm never going to die again. Jesus said, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. They shall rest from their labors. The, the, the word says they shall rest from their labors and their works do follow them. But Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He's talking about just there. He's talking about dropping the body, not dying. But see, they, they think that we're dying. They think that we're sheep for the slaughter. But the next verse says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Say so we are accounted, meaning their logic is, yeah, they're sheep. They're stupid. They're weak. We can do anything to them we want to do. Don't try that with Muslims. But Christians, sure. We are, we are logically concluded to be sheep for the slaughter. But Romans 8.37 says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. So we are more than conquerors over tribulation. We are more than conquerors over distress. We are more than conquerors over persecution. We are more than conquerors over famine. We are more than conquerors over nakedness. We are more than conquerors over the power of the sword or threats against us. See, this is the, that, that verse we've just read is not the only verse that tells us we are victorious people. But we've got to believe that. We've got to embrace that. We've got to get that down in our spirits. There is no defeat in us. Amen? Amen. Amen. But we don't conquer by violence. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God 
to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imag imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We conquer by the power of the word. We conquer by faith. We conquer by love. We conquer by hope. We conquer by the power of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives. But we always conquer. We're never conquered. We always conquer. And that means not only the personal stuff of relationships, the personal issues of money problems, the personal issues of health, but the cosmic issues of things happening around us that impinge upon us and affect us. If we, the body of Christ, would ever get together and come in agreement and stop dividing on the basis of party and start uniting on the basis of principle, all the devils in hell could not control this country or control the circumstances in which we live. Amen. We have the power to prevail. Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But he also said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. So what's the problem? The problem is we're not, we're not united. The problem is we're not thinking right because we're getting a whole bunch of pablum and, and racial nonsense and, and denominational nonsense instead of getting the truth of God's word to unite us. And I'm not condemning any denomination, but we ought not be preaching denomination. We ought to be preaching the word of the living God because that's the word. That's the power that is able to save us from the guttermost to the uttermost. Amen. Come on, stand up on your feet and give God praise. Let me quit. I'll come back with part two of that next time. Hallelujah. The power to prevail. We have the power to prevail. We just got to use it. We know it's there. Get it in your spirit. Because, wow, man, that's like a, that's big, big, big stuff. I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Oh, wow, Lord. That's a big promise. God says, but I'm big enough to fulfill the guarantee. Are you willing to believe me? Amen. Are you willing to believe me? What challenge are you facing in your life right now? Whether these big cosmic challenges that are facing our country or your personal challenges in your family, you have the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Doesn't mean you can always prevent somebody else from being hurt, but you can certainly prevent you from being hurt by standing on that word. And you know what that means? That means you're in a better position to help somebody else. There may be somebody watching today who has never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's where it starts. That's, that's the beginning. You know, when I got saved, I didn't know much about what the Word says. I was learning. I was trying. I was growing. But I didn't know much about what the Word says. I'm going to get into next time what inhibits that growth. It's wrong thinking. Where does wrong thinking come from other than circumstances that engender doubt? There's some other sources for that, too. And we're going to talk about that. But we've got to be committed to growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as a lifetime endeavor. And if we will do that, we will always, always come out victorious and we will get that word down in us. Because that's the power that created the universe. The Bible says when Jesus comes back, 
He's going to defeat his enemies by what? The sword of his mouth. They don't need to wield a metal sword. Well, defeat his enemies by the word of God. We can do the same thing. We just have to make up our minds to utilize that power.